0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Robin Hood, the hot topic of TikTok and of Wall Street. CEO Vlad Tenev on his stock trading app and why it's so popular.
1: Now that the barriers are lower, allowing so many more young people to participate, it's clear to people that it's not just for the wealthy.
0: How he protects the 13 million user accounts trading on his app every day.
1: In terms of volatility, we have to be prepared for... For anything.
0: And why Robinhood is more than an app, and it's more than a fad.
1: The U.S. stock market has been a, a great engine of wealth creation for the past century or more. And, you know, I, I think giving people tools to get access to that, uh, especially in, in these times which are unique, is, is going to be only more important over time.
0: This special sit-down with Vlad Tenev and Andrew Ross Sorkin, plus post-chat analysis with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick all on today's podcast. It's Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right after this.
2: Hey Vlad, how are you? Hey Andrew, good to hear you.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod, taking you behind the sounds of Squawk Box on CNBC.
2: As long as you can hear me, it's good, and I can hear you, and I actually can see you, and you look great. I cleaned up for you, the way you you appreciate it. It's all good.
0: Today on the pod, Andrew Ross Sorkin speaks with Vlad Tenev, co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood, the online brokerage that, like a few other things in our pandemic pop culture, Netflix binges, Zoom happy hours, became part of the vernacular of how COVID-19 changed the way we live now. Millions of Americans, many of them young, millennials and Gen Z, discovered day trading through the ease of Robinhood's app. 13 million users now attracted to the game-like interface of buying stocks in thousands of companies without any middleman.
3: What
2: room are you doing this from? What's your Zoom room?
1: This is actually my office. Yeah, I, I, uh, I haven't been back to the office since March. My Zoom situation is not so great at home. I've got an office that's kind of in the middle of the house two toddlers just running around screaming.
2: This is your first time back in the office?
1: Uh, I think, I think, yeah, it is, yeah.
2: Key
0: to Robin Hood's success and its impact on Wall Street is its zero commission trading model. When trading stocks, you pay a commission or fee to the broker or e-brokerage who completes the trade on your behalf. Back in the 80s, investors paid about $200 per trade. So in 2013, when Silicon Valley startup Robinhood offered no fee trading, the financial world was shook. To retain their own customers, other brokerages followed Robinhood's lead. JP Morgan Chase, Interactive Brokers, Charles Schwab, and TD Ameritrade all followed suit in a multi-year sequence that investors and the media nicknamed the Race to Zero.
1: Some analysts are viewing the Race to Zero commissions in retail brokerage as a negative.
0: It's influential, but as a still young company, Robinhood has hit its fair share of speed bumps. Earlier this year, on days of extreme market volatility, the app suffered multiple outages, keeping its traders from cashing in, or cashing out, on big market swings. This month, it was reported that hackers may have gained information about customers' emails Personal ones. The trading app is also under investigation by the SEC, which alleges that Robinhood fails to disclose its revenue streams. Still, Robinhood boomed during the pandemic when we all started staying at home, adding millions of new users in the first half of 2020 and raising its valuation to over $11 billion. The mainstream popularity is in part thanks to Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, turned to day trader when pro sports was on pause.
1: So as everybody knows by now, I've started day trading. I put $3 million into an E-Trade account to f around with during the quarantine and see what happens. I've been doing it for two weeks and I'm up maybe 100 k so far.
0: Portnoy, his 1.2 million Twitter followers, and the rest of the Robin Hoodies helped fuel a surge in retail investing. In fact, retail investors have accounted for nearly 20% of all trading volume in 2020. That's double the level from 2010. But not all individual investors are trading high-flying stocks. Two of the most high-profile, high-volume trades this year, thanks to the ease of Robinhood, have been the Bankrupt Hertz and Eastman Kodak, both under $5 a share, both extremely popular on the app. And the volume, the popularity of Robinhood, is where we start with CEO Vlad Tenev. Here's
2: Andrew. I'll tell you actually where, Vlad, I'll tell you where I want to start the conversation, which is when the pandemic began did you ever imagine the kind of trading that would take place and the number of new investors that would join the platform? I mean, when you first heard about this tsunami coming towards us, do you think this is going to be good for business?
1: No, I don't think anyone could have ex- expected or predicted how 2020 would would unravel um, or shake out. Um, you know, the, the best we, we could do is... Uh, control the things and improve the things that are under our control so as you mentioned we had a huge increase in in interest from customers both new customers signing up for the platform and existing customers uh, depositing more funds to go along the market Um, and you know we've been focused on making sure we serve those customers well improving our customer support and our system stability. But I, I would say to answer your question specifically, um, no, we, we didn't anticipate that, uh, that this is how 2020 would, would develop uh, back in February of this year.
2: When do you think it became clear to you that there was gonna be this influx of, of new interest in investing in, in the stock market during all of this?
1: yeah i think we we started seeing an increase in uh in february of uh investors um signing up for the the platform even leading up to to the march uh volatility um so you know in in february and even even earlier um we were starting to make lots of investments, uh, even more so than than before into system stability and, and response times on customer support. Um, you know, March things really accelerated.
2: Squawk Box returns from uh, New York, NASDAQ, the Kernan household, the Quick household. I do think that there's an end to this. I think we need to start defining what that is right now and defining the stages and how we're going to get there. What we have is a crisis. We estimate right now
0: that corporate losses would be in the vicinity of about $4
1: trillion. People are suffering. There is real pain in the street. best you can do right now is protect and contain the damage. You can't erase it overnight. Um, When the market dropped... Um, by a significant percentage, uh, we saw a lot of new customers and a, a huge acceleration in new customers signing up for the platform and new deposits. Um, and you know, we since then we've been laser focused on on serving those customers and making sure we offer a reliable and uh, and stable service for
2: them. So, so what do you? So you understand the mindset of your customers better than anybody. What do you? What do you ascribe? this this shift this clear shift into the markets and especially uh, ascribe that shift that took place during the most volatile time in the markets
1: i think there was a confluence of factors Uh, firstly the commission-free model that we uh, essentially pioneered but last year as you know uh, around this time the majority of the industry followed suit and replicated the model. And I think at that point you saw the barriers to entry go down for investing, not just for our own customer base, but industry-wide in the U.S. And so that allowed uh, a new generation and and a new type of customer who was previously underserved to start investing for the first time. Um, And... I think in March, what you saw was a lot of these uh, a lot of these customers who were now able to invest uh became interested in it because they saw the market have um, have a large drop, and to them that signaled a buying opportunity because they saw that you know the u s economy is one that has been resilient, and these customers um were on the younger side, and they had their investing futures ahead of them. And they saw it as, a, as an opportunity to buy into the market and into the U.S. economy at historically low prices.
2: How much do you ascribe, and you, you've probably heard this before, people say, you know, those stimulus checks went out, nobody had anywhere to put them, they put them into the market. You think that's right? Um, you know, we, we
1: saw an impact of People depositing their stimulus checks into Robinhood. Uh, we, we saw you know, deposits that were equal to or multiples of the stimulus amount. And through our recently released cash management product, which allows customers direct deposit and, and spending ability, um, we now can, can facilitate that for customers. Right.
2: Did that make you nervous, though, seeing people put stimulus checks into the market clearly at a time when they're getting those stimulus checks in part because they're unemployed?
1: Well, one thing that we are seeing um, is I think there's been a little bit of a shift in, in mindset, investing and uh, the ability to invest. I think now that the barriers are lower, allowing so many more young people uh, to participate, um, it's clear to people that it's not just for the wealthy. And I think what you're seeing now is sort of a, a cultural relevance ascribed to investing that, um, that, that hasn't been there before. Um, if, you, if you look at, for example, um, spending and, and consumer activity in America, nobody really asks the question of, is it too easy to buy a flat screen TV uh, with one click and and get it delivered. But people are now asking the question of, um, should it be this easy and, and low friction for people to invest in the markets? And our belief is the more we lower the barriers to entry, the more we level the playing field and allow people to invest their money at a younger age.
3: I'm enjoying the stock stuff. Uh, You
1: know, my firm, DDTG, we've made our marks. I wasn't expecting that. So it's been fun. But I'm a sports guy. I'm a sports better. But for now, I am having fun with the stock game, as you
2: well know. How much do you ascribe the growth in your business and just trading overall, especially among this millennial generation, to Dave Portnoy?
1: I think the, the majority of our customers have always been customers that are depositing depositing money and buying stocks Um, we announced some metrics earlier this year about kind of the ratio of buy to sell activity and um, more customers are are buying so you see typically the the behavior is deposit money buy stock deposit more and the products that we've rolled out and built are are really in service of that because we, we not only want to give people access, but we want to give them the tools to go from first-time investors to long-term investors because we think that's the um, that, that's sort of the type of investing that um, is needed, and we can help encourage it. So recurring investments, which we've made very easy and delightful right. on the platform, rolled out to 100% a couple of weeks ago. Fractional shares, which allow anyone to buy a dollar of uh, of, of most stocks in real time uh, have lowered the the barriers uh, quite tremendously, and we're excited to to continue to to offer those products and build on them and right. get people to become long term investors and engage in those uh, habitual
2: behaviors uh, for the long run. But 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 in truth, what what do you make of the the Portnoy phenomenon? Because it's it has been a phenomenon. We have.
1: Um, uh, you know, certain certain customers who do uh, trade more actively and invest in uh, in options. Um, I think about a little bit over ten percent of our monthly transactors engage in an options trade. Um, even smaller number than that are what you would consider uh, day traders. So certainly, uh, we've we've served these customers. We continue to serve them, and um, we think that the pricing is is attractive, right. the fact that the, the platform uh, works for them is is attractive to them.
2: I won't belabor the point, but but just do you follow Portnoy? Do you like him? Do you know him?
1: Uh, I, I know who he is. I, I don't know him personally. Um, yeah, but I, I do know who, who
2: he is. OK. Uh, let me ask you a different question. And, and it goes to this issue, though, of some of the day trading that's going on. Uh, there has been some criticism about this idea of gamifying investing. Um, across the board, uh, by the way, uh, just at the industry, because you're seeing other, other, other companies, to some degree, add these gamification elements. I want to read you what Lee Cooperman said on CNBC recently. He said, the government is giving you more money to stay at home and to go to work. The gambling casinos cas- are closed. You got, the Fed is promising you free money for the next two years. So let them speculate. So let them buy and trade. And I, I think, from my experience, this kind of stuff will end in tears. Does that concern you?
1: I mean, there's there's a lot uh, there's a lot going on in that in that quote. Where should I start? Um, I, I think it's um, it, it it appears to be the case that the uh, the Fed has uh, determined that it's important to maintain the stability of of the markets and support the markets and and the economy by uh, by lowering rates and uh, delivering stimulus checks to to people on an individual basis, uh, which is, you know, in history, uh, been an unprecedented act. So the the government is uh, stepping in and uh, doing doing aggressive actions to maintain the, the sanctity of the economy and the and the markets. Um, and, and I do think, from a macro level, um, that's an opportunity. For for investors,
2: let me ask you a different question because we've talked about it a lot on the show, and you and I have talked about it as well. This idea of payment for order flow, I think it's one of the most misunderstood pieces of the business. And frankly, you revolutionized it insofar as you started doing it, made those trades free, and everybody else has followed. Can you just explain to the audience what payment for order flow uh, uh, for 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 uh, for, uh, for order flow actually means? Uh, because there's so much speculation about how it works, and there's criticisms and, and skepticisms about whether other people are getting in front of their trades and whatnot. Sure.
1: And as you mentioned yourself, payment for order flow has been around for uh, for a long time. And uh, it certainly predated uh, Robinhood and our move to a commission-free model. So if you look at the incumbent discount brokerage houses, um, the majority of them generated revenue from payment for order flow and commissions. Um, and so I think uh, there, there's a little bit of noise around the subject, especially when you see the news about how payment for order flow is a larger percentage of our revenue um, than other brokerages. Um, we, we didn't charge commissions. So clearly all of the other sources of revenue will, will be a larger portion of the pie. Um, so we, we didn't introduce payment for order flow, but we did create uh, the commission-free model that the entire industry has moved to. And that's, by and large, led to better uh, better cost structure for consumers. And you can tell that by by looking at what happened to the stock prices of the discount brokerage houses right after they made the change. I mean, some of these companies, their stocks fell by by over 30% um, because it was clear they were losing... A, a major revenue stream and the economics for consumers was was only going to get better over time.
2: But it, it's it looks like from my math you're doing better. Meaning Robinhood makes more money uh on a pay pay for order flow than your rivals. Can you explain what that deal is and, and, and how that is the case?
1: Um you know I, I I think the the math and the the reporting requirements um are, are probably Beyond the scope of, of this conversation, um, but uh, it's it's a standard regulated practice across the industry, and it is uh, it is a revenue stream that Robinhood has, uh, one of several revenue streams. And the, the goal with you know not just investing, but most of the any product we roll out is we want to have products that just work, and where the economics of the products are. Uh, superior to the to, to the competition. So if a customer hears that Robinhood is, is entering a space and offering a product, they should assume that the product works and that they're getting a, a terrific deal on it.
2: So let's talk about Robinhood, the brand, and what else you want it to ultimately be. Right now, of course, it is known for trading. Five years from now, what, what does Robinhood look like in your mind?
1: I think if if Robinhood can shatter the taboos around finance um, and and make it culturally relevant uh, like like people think about music and the arts or consumer spending and if we can transition which we we have shown uh, to do up until now if we can transition the consumer spending activity towards long-term investing and make the act of long-term investing and building a a long-term diversified portfolio fun and engaging and culturally relevant, then I think uh, we'll have a a really large impact on society and our consumers.
2: One of the critiques you see, and maybe it's a a new technology or new world thing, that, that it's very hard to find somebody to call on the phone if you have a problem at Robinhood sure
1: Um, so we're working on customer support across the board and we've made huge investments and are continuing to to make huge investments both in terms of headcount opening up offices in uh, Tempe, arizona and south lake texas uh, along with our, our existing locations and uh really going across the product from different channels all the way through to um handling edge cases better and surfacing information and tools to customers before they even need to contact an agent. Um, So it's a multifaceted solution where we're making huge progress across the board. And um, there there are, you mentioned phones, there are instances where we're already doing outbound calls to customers to resolve certain issues. And that's certainly one of the multitude of, of tools that we're exploring right. to get people the, the service they need and, and resolve their issues as quickly as possible. So you'll continue to see improvements. Uh, it's, a, it's an area that I'm incredibly the, passionate those, about. Those
2: of, us old, those of us old-timers, old-schoolers, like the 800 number, so um, uh, how many, by the way, how many people have you added during so this So the, the last,
1: um, you know, we've added in terms of support agents or customers,
2: yep uh, No, so, oh, well let's let's do both uh
1: so the 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 last number that we've announced is uh thirteen million accounts uh in and that's after the the three million funded accounts um we announced after the first four months of of this year so the number is higher than that um and uh oh. and we haven't updated it yet in terms of support agents uh i think we we've we continue to add hundreds, and uh, and that that team will will only grow. The best support experience is one where the product actually tells you what you need to do, or helps you resolve the issue automatically. You don't you don't have to go to an agent for a transactional issue. Right.
2: Uh, with with the election coming up and what's expected to be so much volatility, what kind of steps are you taking in terms of working with customers, especially on the options market? Uh, and the like, and also educating customers, because, you know, during a volatile market, that's when people get nervous and sometimes sell when they shouldn't and perhaps even buy when they shouldn't.
1: Certainly. And I think uh, on on your latter point, that's an area where perhaps Robinhood is in a slightly different position with more than half of our customers being first time investors. What we've seen is they typically see uh, volatility and market downturns as buying opportunities, um, just because they 're at the beginning of their investing journey, and think they recognize that there's there 's many many decades for things to 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 smoothen out in front of them um, in terms of volatility, we have to be prepared for for anything um, uh, It certainly would not be a surprise to see uh, to see greater volatility heading up to the election and the weeks and months afterward so we 've been uh, we've been investing more in terms of making sure our processes
2: are, um, are really solid. What do you make of the SPAC phenomenon? And the reason I ask is uh, a lot of companies are, uh, with big names are starting to go public in a very new and different way. Uh, some would argue with less transparency than the typical IPO process. And some people argue it's democratizing uh, the IPO process, bringing companies uh, to, to market uh, earlier than they otherwise would. Others are worried about that. Where do you, where do you sit?
1: I, I find it interesting. Uh, whenever there's more options and competition to traditional mechanisms of, of financing, um, it's, it's obviously something to pay attention to. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're obviously students of the financial markets and, and we pay attention to these things. So I'm like you uh, curious to see how how it
2: continues to play out. And finally, uh, we were talking about SPACs earlier. Let's talk about your future and the future of Robinhood as a private company. Will we see you become a public company very soon?
1: Um, it's 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 certainly not lost upon us that um, it, it would be interesting for our customers to uh, who are uh, obviously. Investing in stocks to one day see Robinhood uh, on Robinhood. Um, we we're not in a rush. We know that to us it's a it's a financing event, and we've done several this year alone. and And we feel very uh, very confident in our capital position. The primary focus is on making sure we offer customers the best possible service and make sure the. The systems are available when they need them the most and that we continue to improve on these products that, that our customers are, are resonating so much with um, across the board. And so uh, that, that continues to be our, uh, our primary goal, just making sure that the products we have and, and, the, and the products we will have continue to, to roll out and deliver value.
2: Fair enough. Vlad, appreciate you talking to me uh, and joining us. Thanks for coming into the office uh, for us. Uh, I wish you luck uh, with the kids back at home and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
3: Hey, Andrew, it's a fascinating interview, and I think the real rub comes down to that last point. You were going back and forth with him. We want to see younger people able to invest. You want to see the barriers to entry come down. You want people to have a longer time frame so that they can really make the most of it, because the law of compound interest is your friend if you invest in the market much earlier. I I think the question that comes back and forth is, do these people who are just getting involved – do they have enough of an understanding about the volatility that could be cam- coming that, you know, it, it, it's gambling if you're pulling your money in and out and making trades on a constant right. basis. It's investing if you it, pick stocks and leave it in and ride through a lot of that volatility. And I think that's the right. huge question with things. Uh, no, no doubt. I'd, I'd rather see the stimulus checks in some way, go into investments for people because, you know, this was a $1,200 check to every single person who came through uh, below a certain income level. Great news if you're actually putting that to work for you and, and getting some savings done for your retirement or for other goals you might right. have, whether it's to buy a house or to go to college or something. It's just that question of the volatility, and especially at a time when the market's gone straight up for so long. Uh, that's, that's where you get a little nervous with it. You don't want to see people get burned.
2: Right. And, and I, should, I should note, there's a lot of trading that goes on on Robinhood, as you'd imagine. Uh, it's not all buy and hold. Uh, there's, in certain cases, a lot of leverage used, options uh, used. And so uh, understanding how the markets work and the like become uh, more and more important. I will say, which was so interesting to me about the mindset, he believes that because so many of these people are young, that he thinks they're putting their money in now. And even if the market's going down, that they don't care because they just see that as more and more of a buying opportunity every time. Uh, which is an interesting sort of signal about maybe how this generation thinks, which, which would be a very positive thing. Uh, but what I always worry about, of course, is if you have another downturn, do they take their money out at, at you know, just at the worst time? And, and we talk about how they're actually working with uh, clients to actually think through, uh, th- think through some of their trading, because, because that's the other thing. There's no phone call. There's no, there's no broker to call. Nobody to say, stay in the market. Don't sell now. Or right. buy now—that that, that, that you doesn't imagine, exist in this in this you world. Imagine your your whole life interest rates being at zero. I mean, when I was no, a no. kid, I, if I told you? I, when I was a kid, I remember when I walked the. Star, <laughs> I've got stories. Let me—I t- mean, but can you imagine growing up with a with a Fed on uh, just on full bore your entire life, grade school, high school, hey, college, investing, zero, the entire. I mean, what are they supposed to think? There's a big right. Fed put. Then been a Fed put the entire time. Makes you worry. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. Uh, we'll yeah. see. I hope it's not a really bad ending where everybody, you know, learns, uh, you're going to learn about loss. You know who said that? Max Cady. You're going to learn about loss. Nick Nolte mm. didn't really understand him. He said, he said what would you say? And he said, you're going to learn about loss. And hopefully that's not, that's not the case.
0: Squawk Pod is back after this. Sometimes it takes a different approach. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us anytime at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success.